Welcome everyone to the Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whitbeck, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have on with us Jeff Powell. Jeff is our Chief Investment Officer and Managing Partner. Jeff, looking forward to our conversation today. Looking forward to it as well. So Jeff, not to uh, sound like a broken record, uh, but I did want to talk to you about the main thing that's driving a lot of uh, the news and certainly a lot of the decisions and some of the longer term impacts of the things that are going on today. And that's the uh, the new variant of COVID, um, which is known as Omicron. And I know it's something that we've talked about in previous podcasts, but I definitely think it's worth revisiting here today. Can you uh, kind of lay the backdrop? What is going on with Omicron and why are we paying so much attention to it? Well, uh, you know, again, unfortunately, we are sounding a little bit like a broken record, but, you know, the the, the fact of the matter is that uh, what is going on with COVID right now is becoming a lot more newsworthy again, unfortunately, uh, due to this new variant. So uh, as we've discussed before, I mean, one of the things with any kind of virus is it mutates over a period of time. And so uh, what our, uh, the CDC, what the WHO has done and everything else is they name the the different variants um especially when they rise to uh, a level that is of prominence but uh and keeping in mind of course that you know we've had you know the first variant was alpha and then you've got to kind of work your way through the system here so we are on i'm kind of thinking uh out loud here we're on the 15th variant well actually i guess technically no we jumped two names but we're on our 13th variant of, uh, of the COVID-19 uh, virus. And the thing that's making this one you know, a lot more uh, newsworthy is just how infectious it is. We're seeing uh, an absolute all-time spikes with regard to uh, the number of people that are getting it. And uh, we're seeing numbers that are off the charts. Uh, we just went through the, the largest hospitalization rate. So, as much as uh, as the uh, medical world and the experts behind it were saying that this is not as deadly, which you know on a percentage basis it's not from everything that I've read. Uh, the problem is that it is so much more contagious that you just have more people, and as a result of that, it's really you know kind of um, you know, taking down a, a ridiculous number of people. Uh, so just kind of looking at uh, what we're seeing, we're seeing spikes in in you know, global as well as the U.S. that are, are higher than we've ever seen uh, at any other point in time uh, during our worldwide pandemic. Yeah, Jeff, and you hit on, um, I think, a really important point that can be a little bit counterintuitive, and that is that from everything that we know, it does appear that Omicron is not as severe as the previous uh, variant, which was Delta. Um, but to your point, because it's more contagious, even if it was half as uh, serious, meaning half the number of people were hospitalized, if you have twice as many people that get infected, you actually end up with the same hospitalization rate um, as you did with the previous more um, serious variant of the virus. And so and I think that's the part that's really having an impact, once again, uh, across hospitals and across different um, parts of the country is how contagious it is. Yeah, no, I mean, right now, our, our uh, the seven-day moving average daily new cases in the United States were three times uh, greater right now uh, than we were at the, the absolute high uh, back a year ago, uh, back in January of 2021. Uh, again, hospitalization rates just now are hitting highs, thankfully, 
uh, ICU beds are not full, but we are seeing hospitals filling. And the scary thing is whenever we've seen hospitalization rates spike the way that we have, um, you see death rates spike. It's just, you, you don't have enough hands. I was talking with a friend who's a nurse uh, and you know, doctors are getting sick, nurses are getting sick. There's not enough people. It's why you've got national guards being called up in multiple states, uh, but it's impacting really kind of down the, down the line. I mean, uh, my children's high school, um, you know, more than one in eight kids at that school have already been infected. And they're only four or five days into the school, you know, coming back from the holidays. It's, it's absolute crazy what's going on. I tried to call uh, to get one of our cars serviced seven weeks out because they don't have uh, technicians uh, at the, the dealership to be able to, uh, to actually get your car. And then they, when I talked to my technician who I've been going to for years and years and years, the guy that kind of checks you in, uh, he pulled me aside and said, yeah, you know, if you ever have trouble getting in, just give me a call directly and I'll, I'll sneak you in. No chance at all. And he was telling me that they were canceling appointments on a regular basis because they just didn't have enough people. And, you know, it just illustrates what's going on. And now you're starting to see it impacting certain areas like uh, our food supply. You know, I was reading a, a very scary article about uh, how uh, major grocery stores are having trouble uh, stocking their shelves because, you know, just all the way down the line, they've got people, they've got nobody to receive the food. They've got nobody to stock the food. They've got issues with, you know, just even the shipping of food. Uh, so this is this is interesting. I mean, it, it is the, the next few weeks are going to be um, some trying times. I have a feeling, and it will be interesting to see how the markets react to it. It could just completely blow it off, uh, as they have many other things that kind of go bump in the dark, or this could become something a little bit more serious. But it's it's certainly things that we're eyeing from a investment perspective because how does that impact earnings? You know, so do you want to own, you know, a company, a grocery store right now when you know they're not putting as much food on the shelves to be able to sell, you know, will that impact their earnings? You know, it's, we're digging into those types of things because the answer may be, no, it's not because they're getting enough food out on the, you know, maybe you don't have as much options, but they're still selling enough goods. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all kind of plays out. And Jeff, I think that uh, given where you live in Marin County, that you are um, certainly a data point that the whole country is watching. Um, and the reason being is that you have such a high vaccination rate. I think if not the highest, one of the highest in the country, how has your county been doing as a whole with regard to uh, the variants? Has the vaccine been preventing people from getting sick, people getting sick, but not as severe? I guess, what, what are we seeing um, happen in your neck of the woods with regard to uh, the infections? Well, as you already kind of know, I'm a, a little bit of a geek when it comes to data. Uh, and it's one of the ways that I, you know, try to make decisions is, is to do it in a way that makes the most amount of sense based upon nothing other than, you know, kind of almost dragnet, just give me the facts. And we have seen a huge spike. Uh, we've seen a, you know, again, if you're looking at seven day rolling averages um, back last year, compared to what we're dealing with right now, we've seen almost a tripling. So almost like what we've seen nationally, um, but what we're seeing is it almost exclusively being unvaccinated people that are, are, are uh, the cause of, of the spread. 
and we're seeing it, you know, we're, don't get me wrong. I mean, people that are vaccinated are getting it. Like I said about the, the, uh, the high school, we want to say it's a, a, a kind of 95, 98% vaccination rate at our school. It's, it's a ridiculous number and still people are getting it. It's, I mean, the, the numbers of unvaccinated people that are getting it have spiked just as, uh, in a percentage basis, just as much, but on a total, it's unvaccinated. And that's what you're hearing from the media. That's what you're hearing from the medical professions. The people that are going into the ICU are the people that are unvaccinated. So there's a bit of an element to that. And we've talked about this offline, Jeremy, where it's like, you know, if this spreads enough and if it's not deadly and we can flatten this curve a little bit so that we don't overtax our hospitals, they could be a very positive thing where, again, you've got a, a less deadly version of a virus. And then it kind of goes into the system just like the Spanish flu did. And so that's kind of the hope longer term is that while this thing is spreading and it's spreading exponentially, uh, that so long as it doesn't truly take out our population from a, a depth perspective, and it truly doesn't disrupt everything going forward, then it's not the worst thing in the world uh, to be in a position where um, this virus continues to spread. Yeah, and I think uh, you hit on an important point that uh, unfortunately there are still vaccinated people that are uh, getting sick with this, um, probably more so than in previous variants, but the majority of the people that are being hospitalized are still to this point those that are unvaccinated and so even though it may not prevent you from getting uh the disease it does certainly seem to prevent you from having this um the serious side effects that can come along with it which results in the, the need to be hospitalized and so in that regard i would say that that's been a success that they were able to develop a vaccine so quickly that for the most part has held up pretty well um given that we're all new to all of this and that we're learning as we go along then Jeff, uh, I think it's also worth uh, talking about one of the things that you hit on and that it's having an impact on our workforce. It's certainly having an impact on our ability to perform services and also to manufacture goods. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What are we seeing happen on the inflationary front and what are the longer term implications of that? Yeah, so I mean, again, uh, a little bit of broken record to the statement, but I think it's certainly worth reiterating because we just had inflation numbers come out this morning. Uh, 7%. We're, uh, we just hit uh, for December on an annualized basis, so up from 6.8. You know, when you disrupt, and this is you know, really all the way across the line, so go, you got to start off with just the physical manufacturing of goods, growing of goods, processing of goods, everything else that kind of happens. You know, when you have a disruption like we did, which was putting people you know, at home, working from home, obviously some things like that were that were not considered to be uh, priorities and, and so on, really were more materially impacted. But the other element of, behind it, which I, th I find very interesting, is that you've had a disproportionate, so we had 4.5 million people uh, late last year resign from their jobs. And they did so in, in some cases to find a better job, but in 70% of the cases, at least according to the stats, and you know I like my stats, uh, a good proportion of those people were people that were nearing retirement who threw their hands up in the air and said, you know what, I'm done. You know, I've got enough money, the markets are recovered, real estate's doing really well, so my house is worth more. I'm just gonna go into retirement. 
why why am I dealing with all this? Why am I dealing with a mask at work or a you know a whatever? And so the other really interesting element behind it is you're losing corporate history and you're losing a knowledge base as a result of this. So you've got your older, more seasoned workers that are no longer coming back to work uh, as a result of this. So that loss of workforce is part of this whole supply chain issue. And again, when you've got scarcity of goods, prices go up. And that's what we're seeing going on across the board. I mean, we saw uh, commodities leading the charge with regard to performance last year, as, uh, whereas the first year of, of COVID 2020, it was negative. So we had a, almost a 40% rise in commodity prices. So when you think about going to the grocery store right now, going to a restaurant, going to whatever, food prices have skyrocketed. Uh, so you think about that. Now companies are trying to offset this inflation by paying people more because they're scared, there's less people working. You've seen job wage increase of around 6%. The problem is they're still 1% less than what inflation is. So they're still asking their, their potential employees to take a pay cut in order to work for them, which is again, why people aren't as motivated to go back to work. So you've got uh, multiple pieces kind of fitting into uh, the same thing. So Omicron just complicates it. We're trying to get back onto our feet and then you've got a workforce that's sick and can't go back to work or are being put into quarantine or uh, or at least having to distance themselves. We were planning on going back and having our entire workforce back in the offices right now. And obviously Omicron put a big dent in it. You've seen companies like Facebook, not that I colluded with, uh, with them, but I mean, if you're looking at uh, what they're doing, they've chosen not to go back to work until mid-March, and then you have to. So we're kind of playing it out too. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, complicating things to say the very least. Yeah, and uh, to your point, Jeff, it's it's been kind of the perfect storm with regard to a lot of these things where, or maybe a better way to say it's like a domino effect where it causes people to not be able to work, but then there's still all the stimulus and people are still spending, and then you have uh, that whole water bottle analogy where you have three, four, 10 people chasing one or two water bottles and it's just really uh, causes prices to increase. And, and, you alluded to, and you alluded to this a little bit, but uh, what are some of the things that you expect that we're going to do as a country and perhaps as um, what the feds announced that they're gonna try to uh, use to rein this in? How are we gonna try to get control and, and ensure that we don't have inflation just continue to uh, to run rampant for an extended period of time? So, I mean, given um, choices, I mean, we are obviously in a pandemic. We had the largest pullback economically in a quarter that we've ever seen uh, as a result of shutting down our economy, then the strongest we've ever seen. <coughs> so we've had this all over the place type of situation. We've had a, a major backstop by the government which was a very positive thing. I mean, obviously part of it was unemployment benefits and so on. But one of the things that very few people I think really understood as it was going on was that the Federal Reserve went out and bought a ton of bonds. They bought treasuries, they were buying mortgage backs, they were doing all sorts of things in order to safeguard uh, the financial industry in order to make sure that the, there was liquidity uh, so that our economy didn't just completely collapse. And so when you have a choice of massive recession or inflation, you choose inflation. 
mean, because I mean, you're talking soup kitchens, you're talking about you know people in long lines and homeless. If you're not backstopping what went on during the midst of of the beginning of this this crisis as a result of the pandemic, now we're having to deal with some of those consequences. So the Federal Reserve uh, for a while was buying 120 billion dollars of bonds on a monthly basis after they went and gobbled up a bunch of stuff to begin with. They went out and bought almost five trillion uh, in bonds. So then they decided to continue the stimulus. And, that, and the reason behind it was they were trying to suppress in, uh, interest rates to encourage people to spend, to encourage people to borrow, to encourage people to do a number of other things. Well, again, now that we're starting to see the opposite uh, issue, you know, so again, you don't want a recession, but you also don't want hyperinflation. So they are cutting back uh, and they will eliminate uh, their bond purchasing program here shortly. So the, the, it's called tapering. It's a fancy word to say, hey, I'm cutting back on um, what I'm buying. Uh, so they're still out there buying. There's still a pressure that's that if the Fed was not out there doing, that wouldn't be there otherwise. It's just less of it. So your kind of analogy of saying, hey, you know, they're out there, they were buying 10 bottles of water a month. Uh, then they decided to cut back to nine. Uh, now they're down to seven. Uh, they're gonna eliminate the buying pressure on bottles of water so that the price of water is gonna have to stand on its own. And that's what's going on with a little bit of what's happening from an interest rate perspective as we've seen a spike in the 10 year treasury uh, from the beginning of the year. And it was, it's interesting to see how that's moved because the announcement was made back in November. But if you look at rates from October to December 31st, we saw nothing. Uh, but then we saw the 10 year start to, to spike here. Uh, so the, we started the year at, at a little north of 1.5%. And we're sitting at one, almost one and three quarters, which doesn't sound like a huge amount. But a quarter percent within uh, rates will have a material impact. You're starting to see that with lending rates and so on. So the Fed, they cut by, you know, they, they, they've cut substantially what they're doing there. Uh, they're they're going to continue to double down what they were doing in December. They're going to cut again in January. The thought behind it is that they're going to eliminate the bond purchasing program most likely by March, um, you know, by the spring at the latest. Then they've got one other card to play. And that's uh, so by buying these bonds, they're creating stimulus. By so by taking back that, they're removing some of the stimulus. So some of that should help with rein in some of the inflationary uh, activity that we're seeing. And then if you're looking at Fed futures, three to four Fed hikes uh, during the course of this year, or at least over the next 14 months, that you can go out as far as uh, February of next year. And if you're looking at those kind of statistics, it looks closer like four than uh, than we are. So we have. Fed funds rates at zero. This is the interbanking lending system. And as they raise it, it means that money gets more expensive to borrow. It also means, oh, by the way, you start earning interest on your money for a start. So it can have some positive, uh, but don't let that fool you. I mean, as we've been saying to our uh, clients forever, um, I mean, if you're, if you're getting 1% on your money on a money market, but you're losing seven from inflation, you're losing 6%. So you got to get out there and you got to get your money working for you. you know, again, we're encouraging people to really lessen their exposure to bonds and lesser exposure to cash because you're guaranteeing a loss uh, by doing that. So, so the, to answer your question in total, really two things. One is tapering and two is the Fed uh, making uh, money more expensive by raising rates in this upcoming year. 
Yeah, and Jeff, that's a that's a great reminder. And uh, as you're saying, I was kind of thinking uh, for people, right? We need to protect ourselves from uh, from COVID, and there's really two ways to do that. One is, of course, uh, get vaccinated, wash your hands, do all the things to try to prevent from getting sick, but also protect your money, right? Omicron's created uh, this inflationary environment. So just like you're trying to protect yourself, you need to protect your asset of money. And the way to do that is to and try to help ensure that it's gonna grow at a minimum at the rate of inflation, and not, if not better. And so that's a great reminder that we all need to do that. We need to keep that uh, cash to a minimum, not that we don't hold it, because obviously we need it for liquidity purposes, but we certainly wanna use it sparingly and not just stockpile a bunch in cash because it feels good, because what you end up with is uh, a very smooth long-term loss, meaning that it's not volatile, but it's certainly losing 6% plus uh, every year as inflation goes by. And uh, I would argue that's actually one of the, the big lessons that we learned from the 70s and the 80s is how severe that erosion from inflation can be when left unchecked for an extended period of time. And so certainly something that we want to keep in mind today and not to allow that to have a material impact on our financial well-being. Not that I think that we're going into a secular bear market. Uh, I think that we've got some more legs in what we're doing. But to your exact point, when you look at the, uh, the 66 uh, to 82 secular bear market, there were five major pullbacks. Um, if you look at it during that time period, you basically broke even uh, if you're looking at purely the price of the market. When you take inflation into account, you lost 75% of your buying power. So it is a silent killer. It is something that is exceptionally important uh, to offset. And when we hear from people all the time, well, what can we do to you know, hedge ourselves against inflation? Well, there's really no great hedge against inflation. I mean, people talk about gold, but we've done studies on gold and gold works about half the time. So is that truly a hedge? And the answer is no. The best way of hedging your money in an inflationary environment is to grow it. And that's it. You're not gonna grow it sitting in a 1% treasury. You're not gonna you know, grow it sitting in a 0% money market. And as you said, yeah, it may feel good, but at the end of the day, you're fooling yourself. It's a silent killer uh, to people's net worth. So it's one thing to do it temporarily. And, and again, what we would be suggesting is not to try to time the market, uh, to look to someone like us who has the professional knowledge and the backing to understand uh, the consequences of what's going on and put, have us help you get that money working for you. Uh, but if you leave it there for extended time periods, you're being foolhardy with what you're doing uh, and you're going to harm yourself. So yeah. we really, really urge you uh, to think otherwise. Yeah, so Jeff, uh, really appreciate uh, your thoughts and insights. Certainly um, a lot to think about and uh, a lot of things for people to uh, really uh, think longer term on how best to prepare for some of what is uh, coming through the pipeline, not only from a societal perspective, but also from a personal finance perspective. So as always, Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Of course. So and to all of our listeners, as always, really appreciate you uh, spending the time with us to uh, hear our thoughts about some of the events that are driving us and driving the economy. And as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, 
and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.